Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the few in attendance and the thousands listening around the world, let's get ready to gamble. My name, as always, is Tony Cavallo. I'm joined by Schaefer the Sharp, Drew Schaefer Crooks, and I'm joined by Matthew Dangles, D'Angelo Antonio. And my feet are dancing, my seat is moving because we are on fire. I say every week. On the West Coast Gamblers, I say every week that we are the show that makes you money. And people have come back and said, Tony, how can you actually say that, though? Are you going to guarantee that you're making the money on this show? Blah, blah, blah. Gentlemen and ladies listening to this show, we went 13-5 and five in the Super Bowl. 13-5 and five in the Super Bowl. 13 and goddamn 5 in the Super Bowl. 10 and 5 on prop bets and on our back up the Brinks truck bet we went 3 and goddamn 0. Undefeated in the Brinks truck bet. Schaefer the Sharp, Matthew Dangles, D'Angelo Antonio, take a bow fellas. How you feeling? Very good. Very, very good. It's always nice to come out smelling like roses uh, from a Super Bowl, especially one where there were as many uncertainties, I feel like, as we had in this one. I don't know about you, Drew. I feel, I feel, I feel pretty fresh. I feel pretty fresh, uh, like a daisy after that, uh, that game. I feel good. There's always kind of that post-Super Bowl hangover in the literal and you know, figure of sense, so there's no more football. However, um, Schaefer the Sharp did take his own... Uh, Schaefer the Sharp Gambling School advice. I did wait to get that money line on Kansas City to drop a full 20 points and grab it at minus 155 before kick. I looked the devil in the back. I bet against the GOAT. So I diluted a little bit of profits because of my own silly strategy. However, very profitable day for the the West Coast gamblers. And uh, yeah, three out of four years, boys. uh, Profitable in the NFL season. Can't complain. Great job by everybody. We won on the first play of the game. We won on the last play of the game. We won on the podium when they were handing out trophies after the game was over. We won in every facet of that Super Bowl that we are rolling in the dough right now. In fact, we're calling to you from individual mansions that we bought with our winnings (laughs) in Los Angeles. That's how much money we made on that Super Bowl, and that's how we make you money on this show. This show today is huge. We're going to break down the Super Bowl that just happened. We have an interview with a Super Bowl champion, Mr. Cliff Averill came on the show and gave us a great interview, including a story I have never heard before about the Malcolm Butler Seahawk play. And at the end of the show, we're going to go to Schaefer the Sharp, Drew Schaefer Crookston, lifelong Lions fan, to go over him, his team, his franchise, trading away the cornerstone, trading away the team itself and Matthew Stafford, who is coming to join us on the West Coast and play for the Los Angeles Rams. It's a hell of a show up ahead, but Dangles, let me start off with you. You are the Patriots fan. You are the man who has seen Tom Brady since 2000 on win and win and win and win and win again. Now, obviously, me and you were together. We were rooting for Tom Brady to win both with our pocketbooks and with our hearts. But now that it is over, now that it has happened, now that it wasn't a New England victory, but rather a Thomas Edward Brady victory, a Robert Gronkowski victory in a different uniform, is there any taint on this victory in your eyes or are you just happy as a clam that he actually got to seven? No, there's no taint on it in my uh, in my eyes at all. I think you know, like like a lot of people talked about. I I think this was you know, I think this is something Tom needed to prove to himself in a lot of ways. I think he needed to prove he could win outside the Patriots organization. If if you had told me at the beginning of the season that Tampa Bay was a 43 year old quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl, I would have told you you were nuts. I mean, they were a contender. We all knew that going into the season, and Tom Brady wasn't stellar like he had a good season by any quarterback standards he had a very good season but he, he wasn't blow you away with his stats 
Um, but he won when he needed to, and this team came together in a great way in the middle of the uh, of the year when they're sitting at seven and five after week twelve, and they won their last. Uh, they won their last. Uh, well, they won out of the season. They won, I think, it's seven in a row with the three playoff games. Eight, I guess, if you count the Super Bowl. Um, so, uh, just a great performance by them. I'm I'm incredibly ecstatic for Brady. I think it cements his legacy as the greatest football player in history. You know where he sits in the pantheon of other athletes. I think you can talk about because there's a lot of you know uh, variables in that debate in athletics. You know, individual versus team sports and stuff. But look, he outplayed uh, the opposing team last night, and the defensive game plan that uh, Tampa Bay drew up was incredible. Patrick Mahomes was scrambling on every play. He had to make circus throws on every single play, and um, I'm just I'm I'm ecstatic for Tom Brady as a as a former New England fan. Um, I was rooting for him last night. It was nice to not have a dog in the race, and just I would have been. And I would have been happy either way. The way I wanted it to shake out ended up being the way it did shake out because, of course, you know, I love Tom Brady. I want to see him win always. Um, but I love Patrick Mahomes, too, and he's a great quarterback, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for that him and that franchise. They, they will be back for sure, but uh, could not be happier for Tom Brady. Seven rings. Hope they played that song in the locker room, that Ariana Grande song afterward. Very He's the king. He, he is, is the, the king. king. Tom Brady is the king, and there's no one even close. And Pat Mahomes, I mean, take a seat, bud. You lost to the GOAT. Tom Brady beat Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Pat Mahomes in the same playoffs to win his seventh Super Bowl. Now, Schaefer the Sharp, you went 4-2 and two on the podcast last week. Dangles went 4-2. and two. Myself, yours truly, went 5-1. and one. Thank you very much. But you went 4-2. and two. You had a winning record. And yet you still, even after hearing all of our knowledge on this pod, all of the insights, all of the takes, all of the moves, all the analysis— do you know what the definition of insanity is, Drew? Tell me, Tone. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You had 20 years to bet with Tom Brady, and yet you chose once again to bet against Tom Brady, and it bit you in the butt. Why did you bet against Tom Brady then? Are you looking to bet against Tom Brady in the future? What I'm asking is, have you learned your lesson that Tom Brady is not to be trifled with? I thought we were recording a pod out of goddamn therapy session, but uh, <laughs> thanks, Tone. Um, guess I'll open up my heart to you, bud. Um, well, <laughs> but listen, how does it make you feel? Give, no, well, I'm going to tell you how it makes me feel, honestly, okay? I mean, clearly not great, okay? Now, hindsight's very easy in this business. Monday morning quarterback is very easy in this business. However, I chose to ignore blatant signs that had nothing to do with TB12. The Kansas City Chiefs, uh, if you watch that game, the Tampa Bay Bucks blitzed six times and got 38 pressures on Patrick Mahomes. Now, we heard, we heard that, you know, Kansas City's offensive line going to this game was decimated without Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. I knew that. I didn't care. Clearly, that was an issue. The COVID barber stuff, whether it was distracting, whether or not, I heard it. I didn't care. The terrible situation that happened with Andy Reid's son 48 hours prior, uh, 48 hour, four, 48 hours prior, terrible situation kind of went right over it this is the one thing that i'm the most disappointed in that i didn't really think about and i know there's only twenty thousand fans there but how about tampa bay how about just a general home field advantage that you got the sense that they had there listen they didn't have to travel everyone knows that traveling in covid nowadays is a different it's different it's a different beast than it was yeah they got to sleep in their own beds they got to train in their own training facilities and i think even with the limited crowd, I, I think Tampa had a massive, massive home field advantage. Yep. I simply chose well, how can you not? to ign- Yeah. I, I I simply chose to ignore all that and say Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, you know, the best in their their respective positions in the world. And you know what? The Chiefs queefed. Bottom line. T B twelve, he's the GOAT. And um that's that's a wrap. And you know, what I'll say about what I'll say about Tom Brady is he <laughs> 
it's not that it's not that I don't know who he is and don't acknowledge that he's not only the greatest of all time at this point, he's got to be in that conversation of the greatest athlete of all time. But it's just there's something different that he brings out in his team that has nothing to do with him as a quarterback. It's him as a leader. He's a leader of men. Yep. People want to play for him. And you just saw, you just saw the you saw the Chiefs make uncare uncharacteristic, terrible mistakes, lining up offsides on a field goal, some bad PIs, some questionable calls by the refs that had no impact on the game, but just stuff that normally doesn't happen in that team. I can't help. That didn't happen last year against Jimmy G. I just can't help that has something to do with the GOAT. Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, you, when you are looking across the sideline and you see Jimmy Garoppolo, or if you're looking across the sideline, you're seeing Tom Brady, it uh, it invigors a different feeling inside of you. You know, you pee your pants a little bit. And poor Tyrion Matthew, I mean, he tried. He tried stepping up to the GOAT. He tried talking his talk, but he could not walk the walk in the end. And Brady, I mean, Brady won the MVP and made me money, made us money as a show. But again, that was one of the worst lines for an MVP stat lines that I've seen in a long time. It's not like Brady killed them. It's just that Tampa Bay as a whole beat him in every facet of the game. They scored nine points. The Kansas City Chiefs scored nine points, three field goals in the Super Bowl. They should be able to do that on one drive if they were allowed to. Nine points in the Super Bowl. Todd Bowles and that defense deserves a lot of credit. As much as I hate JPP, as much as I hate Ndamukong Sue, they they did their job, man. They made Mahomes' life a living hell. The decisive point in that game happened in the second quarter. Tampa Bay, Kansas City, slow start like we predicted. It's 7-3. Tampa Bay's driving. Kansas City defense gets a stop. Suckup kicks the field goal to make it 10-3. The Chiefs get that ball back. They go down and score, make it 10-10. They have the ball start in the third quarter. That's a completely different game. What happens? The Chiefs inexplicably, how do you line up offsides on a field goal? How does that happen? Gives them the first down. The Bucs capitalize. They score a touchdown. And that was it. They never got any really they, – they did not get closer than that the whole game. No, you're right. I mean, there was a lot of uh, mistakes made both on the coaching side and on the team side throughout that game, especially at the end of the first half. Andy Reid calling timeouts when Tom Brady had the ball. I'll never understand those calls. But again, it was that defense that got into Mahomes' face, made him run around. They, They were... Very aggressive in trying to defend these players because other than Tyreek Hill and uh, Travis Kelsey, there's no one else on that team that scared you. They did not run the ball uh, particularly often, even though they were getting good chunks of yards on the ground. It was a that's tough game altogether. I, that's what I couldn't get my head around is is that Clyde Edwards-Lair averaged 7.1 yards per carry. Yep. He only had he only had uh, nine carries, I believe. As a team, Kansas City carried the ball 17 times for 107 yards. Clyde Edwards-Lair toted nine times for 64 yards, 7.1 yards a carry. I mean, obviously, after halftime, it, it was maybe a little late. I mean, you could come out and just run the ball down their throat and see if they could stop you, but I don't understand. They came out throwing the ball right from the get-go of that yeah. game. The first play of the game was a pass. If you look at it, the way that the Chiefs started a lot of their drives or when they got a first down, what they did, they passed the ball they weren't running the ball a lot and and so I'm just I was kind of curious why Eric Bieniemy at some point didn't either I mean they were pressuring so often why didn't you see more little dump off plays more screen type things just to just to, to to get rid of the ball quickly it felt like every time Patrick Mahomes was was scrambling to make some sort of circus play and I said this to Tony at the beginning of the game you know as we started to see this I was like you know if they can make him have to make those throws on every single play because you know, Mahomes is great he can do the you know he almost threw a touchdown like parallel to the ground last that was night crazy it was nuts um, so you know, you know he can do he can do those sorts of things, but I don't think he's used to having to do it every single play, and that's what Tampa Bay made him 
do last night. Now, I couldn't figure out why they didn't abandon the plan to just pass so much earlier on in the game to the point where maybe they could have taken a chunk out of that score by rushing the ball, considering how successful Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was on the ground at that time. We can add that to the list of distractions too, Dangs. The Biennemi. Biennemi's, you know, play calling suspect at best. Obviously, he interviewed for all those jobs. Yeah. And it was it was re- re- reported all over the media how Reed was happy he's staying, but upset he doesn't get a job. I mean, again, hindsight being what it is, the Kansas City Chiefs had a laundry list of distractions and things going against them before they even had to worry about playing the GOAT. And it was an oversight on Shea of the Sharps part. Again, I was profitable because of that Tampa Bay uh, <laughs> Super Bowl, that's Tampa Bay Super Bowl future in the middle of October. Thank you very much, Mr. Brady, for that. But um, hey, tip your cap. Tip your cap. Now, speaking of tipping your cap, uh, not only was I 5-1 and one on giving out bets on this show, but also I was correct in saying the weekend was going to be the worst Super Bowl halftime show of our collective lives, and that was correct. And I'm also, oh, that's a bold take. I'm also correct in saying that the first Budweiser commercial would be a Bud Light commercial. So I deserve the praise from you two. I deserve, uh, uh, I don't want to say I told you so, but uh, I told you so. Uh, Dangles, what do you think about that take, the worst halftime show? In our lives, I completely disagree with that. I'm not I sure what your feeling is. I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think it was Tony. the wor- I don't think it was the worst one. I, I I think Tony just doesn't really care for the weekend, um, and probably would have. Yeah, it was innovative. He tried somebody I mean, else. I mean, he put his own money behind it. You know what I he mean? Tried. Yeah. Are we giving out ribbons for trying at this point? It's the halftime show. It's the Super Bowl. I expect Look, greatness. I expect I I next level a- shit. Prince I, literally I, made it rain. He made the skies cry. We're a far cry from that. I mean, you know, I love the weekend's music, but I think, you know, and we talked about it a little bit. Like, I, I think he makes great pop music, right? Like, he's 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 blown up. He he makes chart toppers, right? But as a you know, for a Super Bowl halftime show, you you want a performance. Um, and there was some performance aspects to that. But as you mentioned, what Prince did was he made it rain. Was a Literally. performance. Bruno's show was a performance. I, Beyonce. I don't know if I would go. Beyonce, obviously. She's, but, you know, and, but that's what you expect when you go to a Beyonce concert. Even like, you know, Taylor Swift. Like I, I went to one of her concerts with my wife. I'm not a huge fan of her music, but that girl puts on a fucking show, man. Like the shit that she's doing. Like Lady Gaga, same thing. I haven't been to see Lady Gaga, but she had the halftime show. That was nuts. Like, you know, all, so you get these great performers that they come in and who, who put on shows for you and they, you know, do acrobatics or whatever. So you had some dancers and you had, you know, uh, uh, the weekend walking through a fun house with a, with a, you know, selfie cam or whatever. Um, but I just, I, I think maybe, you know, expectations should have been a little bit lower considering that I don't think the weekend's really known. He's known for his music more than he is for, for being a, a performing artist. I would say. Katy Perry came out on a goddamn 40 foot lion. I expect greatness out of my halftime show not uh auto-tune but singing the weekend, i'm sorry like, yeah but the weekend also is a, he's serious and i feel like Katy perry kind of is a caricature of herself in a lot True. of ways as a as an artist so she can do that she can come out and and left shark can be a thing and <laughs> and you know obviously that was the big thing that came out of that halftime show was left shark but but the weekend's serious artist you know and he takes his music and very seriously and and so i think it's you know it, it's not surprising to me that it was more sort of interpretive and especially considering he was given the um you know uh the reins to kind of design it how he wanted last thing for you tony squares i will give you <laughs> praise my friend i will be like oh my god tony you're so good jesus christ your hair is amazing and, and your broken mustache clock is, great. is right twice a day yeah listen to me pal i'm not gonna sit here and do this podcast without you because i was gonna bring it up but you need to mention the bet that 
the biggest bet that I made all game that cashed before the first kickoff. Do you want to explain that to our listeners, my friend? Oh, yeah. You got the national anthem right. National anthem going what, over. At what at what was the line? At two at 120 and a half seconds, and it closed at two minutes and fifteen seconds. That is sharp, my friend. That is sharp. Congratulations. Next thing you'll do is uh next year you'll get the coin toss. Congratulations. Wait, it, you can do it too. Sharp? Is it still sharp when the length of the anthem gets spoiled by a, a leaked recording and then you and then and then you bet on it afterward? Cause, Cause my wife said it best. My wife said it best. I told her I didn't tell her of course the stake, but I told her we I told her it was a sure thing and we won. And I, I she said I, I explained why and she goes, So you cheated. <laughs> I said, bookies are the cockroaches. <laughs> uh, Vegas wasn't built on free money. You got to win them when they you can. They all grade the same, baby. They all grade the same. Got to win them when you can. Well, let's go on. Let's move on to our lovely interview with Cliff Averill. It's a doozy of an interview. I'm so happy we got this. He gets to talk about all of his Super Bowl experiences and his experiences leaving Detroit. We're going to talk about Stafford after that. And also at the end of the show, we're putting it back up. Okay, we're not just going 13 and 5 in the Super Bowl and saying we're done giving you gambling. I know football's over. I understand that. We watch other sports too. We deep dive into other sports too. You're going to get a little bit of a story how Tony spent his quarantine becoming an expert in a completely different sport. And you're going to get back up the Brinks truck better the week from the three of us at the end of the show. But first, let's get to Cliff. Left Coasters. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest on the show for you today, and I say this intro with a tremble in my voice, because this man had 74 sacks in his NFL career, and I can feel him creeping up on my blind side as I speak. He was drafted in 2008, number 92 overall by Drew's Detroit Lions, franchise tagged in 2012 only to escape the clutches of Honolulu Blue for the greener pastures of Starbucks in Seattle in 2013, winning a Super Bowl that very same year with that Seahawks franchise becoming the first player in NFL history to win a Super Bowl after being on a winless team. He made the 2016 Pro Bowl, but his best accomplishment ever might very well be ruining the hopes and dreams of gamblers everywhere when he was the first person to score in that Super Bowl by getting the safety on no Sean Moreno in the back of the end zone. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Cliff Averill. <laughs> oh man, I appreciate it. That was a great, great introduction. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, but before we get going, you know, we got we got to talk about this Green Bay uh, big logo behind you and the, the mud <laughs> and everything else. All right. We're going to we have to talk about that a little bit. But uh, no, I appreciate you guys having me. <laughs> I, I had to throw the Green Bay logo up here because, I, again, I, I've been watching your whole career. I've been an NFL fan for a very long time, supporting my green and gold. And I have you've ruined my hopes and dreams many times as a Green Bay fan. So I just had to come out here with the support just so you can't find out later when you're looking at my social media. It's like, wow, this guy really hates me. No, no. I respect you, but you've hurt my feelings over and over again. Drew, on the other hand, diehard Lions fan. <laughs> Cliff, well, well, yes. Yeah. Spoiler alert, Cliff. We'll, we'll get to that a little later in the, in the interview. We, we, we thank you so much for being with us today. I, I want to start out with a question I have like right, right off the top. The Super Bowl just happened, man. You you have both sides of the coin here. You're a rare player that went to Super Bowls back-to-back years. You experienced the highest of highs and lowest of lows and winning a laugher and a blowout and then losing a heartbreaker. For you as a competitor, is it a higher high to win the Super Bowl or is it a lower low to lose the Super Bowl? Well, well, just like Tony just said, right? You know, I went 0-16 as a rookie. So uh, to get to a point where you're the last team standing after going 0-16 – 
I mean, nothing can beat that because that's the ultimate low. Not getting to the Super Bowl, not winning any games, like those, those are the ultimate lows. So, of course, being, uh, you know, one of the teams, uh, the last team to, to hold that Lombardi trophy, being able to, uh, you know, go from 0-16 to, to being a part of something so special, being a part of, you know, arguably one of the top defenses ever, um, you know, winning the Super Bowl, no matter, you know, how, how the other one ended up, you know, I know so many guys that have played for, you know, 13, 14, 15 years and never make it to a Super Bowl, let alone win or lose one. So, of course, I'm grateful for being able to win one. Uh, uh, yeah, and you won me money that year as well playing for those Seahawks. So I was very, very happy with you. Uh, I will say, though, for your years in Detroit, you were there. You got to leave Detroit and see the greener pastures of another franchise. Matthew Stafford, the franchise cornerstone of that team, just got traded out of Detroit after wanting a trade, and they successfully worked it for him, sent him to the L.A. Rams to play under McVay. You played with the first years of Matthew Stafford, and you were also in that organization for a while. I understand under a different coaching tree than the Matt Patricia land. But what was the differences, the biggest ones between leaving Detroit and heading to Seattle? Because Seattle seems to be a place that players love to go to to because of Carroll. Detroit, for whatever reason, it might be the Green Bay loving me. People are always looking to leave that franchise. Do you have any experiences there with Stafford and with the franchise that you think shed a light on this situation? Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, Stafford's been there, you know, his whole career and and is probably broke every record at quarterback for that franchise. But I, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is is I think personally Detroit might have some sort of curse because they've had so many great players through the years. You know, you mm -hmm. talk about Calvin Johnson, you talk about Sue, you talk about even some of those years when I was there where, where our front four is probably one of the top front four in the, in the league. Like they've had players, they've had talent and yet have never really been able to, you know, take that next step. So I think mm -hmm. for Stafford more so than anything is just like, he knows, he knows he doesn't have another 11 years in him. He knows he doesn't have another, you know, six, seven years in a most, well, as a quarterback, he might, but, you know, yeah, just understanding right. that, you know, the, 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 the time is running out. So let's try something new. Let's get in a new situation. Let's get in a new system, a new place just starting over. I think that's huge for Stafford to be able to do so because the boy can play some ball, man. You yeah. know, you, if you, if, if you, well, you being a big green Bay fan, you watch him at least twice a year. He can throw the mess out of the rock. He can he can throw the best of them. He can he can sidearm. He can flick the ball 60, 70 yards. So I think it's a, a good move for Stafford. And honestly, I think it's a good move for the Lions with a new regime, a new coach coming in and getting a lot of first rounds for him. Uh, Tony may be a Packers fan. I Like you said, I bleed Honolulu blue, baby. And top five moment in my Lions fanhood, Christmas Eve 2011. I know you know it well, man, playing the San Diego Chargers. Philip yes. Rivers with a little flip and Cliff Averill, a four-yard pick six. Take it to the house, baby. We yes. clinch. We, 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 we win the game. We clinch the division. And more importantly, you know the fan base. You know the organization. And you know that is a hungry, proud fan base. I couldn't help but watch in Cleveland and Buffalo success this year and kind of be jealous of that. So in your opinion, obviously with staff going to, to Los Angeles and forecasting success for him, what is your early thoughts on the Dan Campbell Brad Holmes hired, and what's it going to take to get that franchise back to competitiveness? And I want to say Dan was on the 0-16 team with me. I think he was. I think he was. Uh, he was a part of that whole mess. Uh, apologies yep. about the light. But um, I, I think first off, Detroit is an amazing city. Um, I mean, great fans. I mean, even the 0-16 year, like people were showing up to the games. They might have bags oh, over yeah. their heads. They might have, you know, had X's across their jerseys. But they loved some football, and they they deserve to get a championship. 
at some point um, because because that city, it, I mean, just diehard fans, right? Um, I think I think with Dan coming in, you know, you see the you see the energy that he brings, right? He's he's talking about biting people's knees off and, and different things like that, and I think it's just. It's just good because it's just a new wave. It's the young, it's that young feeling of 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 being able to just you know bring in his own uh, regime, bring in his own players. Like I said, bringing in, getting all these first round draft picks, getting a new quarterback. I think he's starting off fresh. He's gonna do it his way, and he kind of mentioned that as well. He's gonna do it his way. He's gonna he's gonna try something different because the old way hasn't been working. And I think that's what the city needs. I think the city will get behind that because. Uh, 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 as you you know, I mean, it's a bunch of blue collar, hardworking individuals, and that's all Dan wants to bring to this team and, and represent absolutely at, at, at its finest. To bring the other side of that, because again, the Green Bay fan here thinking it's all going to go down in flames in Detroit. Being that rah rah guy, when you guys are professionals, that rah rah culture might work in college when they're kids, but when you guys are professionals, you're all getting paid the same way. You want? To, I'm speaking from no experience. I'd rather have your opinion. Do you want more of an X's and O's guys, or do you want that guy that's going to give the fiery halftime speech? Does that sort of wear out over time if you guys can't get the job done? You know, how does it affect you as a, co- a player knowing you're going from simply a rah rah? coach well i really think it just depends on where you're at in your career right because coach carroll was the raw raw coach he's the yeah. he's the guy that's in your face happy go lucky the oldest man in the league but has more energy than everybody in the locker like he's that guy right and you see mm-hmm. the success that he's been able to have over i mean they've only missed two playoffs in in 11 years or something like that in seattle so uh i think it works but in the same breath you know it just depends on how young your team is right mm-hmm. if your team is young it's, it's like smooth sailing. It moves right in, like from college. It's, it's, it's an easy transition. But older players like myself, it took me two years to, to fall in love with Coach Carroll's mentality because I didn't need you to motivate me. I had a family. I have kids. But I, I do think having the mixture of two, it definitely uh, allows guys to go out there and play harder for that individual. Where it messes up, though, is the business side of the game because you just told me you love me now you're cutting me right you yeah. just told me uh, i was the best thing but you can't pay me what i'm worth so that's where the rah-rah and being a, a player's coach can get a little shaky but outside of that though i think it definitely worked so speaking of marriages and sort of the part of your career obviously stafford is at the part of his career where he is he's going for the ship he wants the playoff success he wants the ability to prove it against the best and now he's going to be in mcveigh's system and a, a, a man that made some uh, some headlines this week was teddy bruski from new england he's, he's a talking head now and he said that stafford was not tough enough to play in new england you played with stafford <laughs> i love matthew stafford as a packer fan i think he's one of the best players i've ever seen not in a packers jersey i think he's tough as nails drew think he's tough as nails you've played with the man I think, personally, Teddy Bruschi is an idiot for saying what he said, but can you speak to Matthew Stafford's grit and toughness and what he can bring to this L.A. Rams team? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, first off, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how tough he is, but this is from a quarterback's lens because I don't think any of the quarterbacks are really <laughs> tough. All right? I'm going to tell you, all 32 of them, even my guy Russell Wilson, all, I don't think any of them are tough per se in comparison <laughs> to the rest of the guys on the team. But uh, – you know, they, they, they are, I mean, Matthew Stafford in particular, I think he is a tough dude. I mean, he's played through so many injuries. To, to lose consistently like this but still give you 5,000 yards, 4,000 yards a year, like mentally, you got to be tough. You know, so, um, you know, as a teammate, I, I got to see him grow. You know, uh, he was a year behind me. And, and I got to see him grow and, and accept that role of being a leader, accept the role of being able to, to, to take charge of a locker room. That's not easy for a young player. You know, to to come mm-hmm. into a space with a bunch of grown men and yet 
you know, you take control and people follow your, uh, follow your, uh, follow your lead, you know? So there's multiple things that I could say about Stafford or what makes him so tough. But the biggest thing is, is his leadership skill of being able to gravitate and bring guys together to at least think they have a chance to win some football games. And also just seeing what he does on the football uh, field week in and week out and losing. I mean, mentally, you got to be, you got to be tough to be able to do those types of things. Cliff. I told you, you know, we, we recounted one of your finest moments of your career, the 2011 Christmas Eve. I got to ask, man, what was your angle? Were you on the bench? Were you watching the Jumbotron of the famous uh, Russ Malcolm Butler pick in the Super Bowl? What, what do you remember about that play? Mm. And, and, and what, what, was, what, was your, uh, what was your point of view on that? So <clears throat> I have this, this is interesting. So I have a different point of view and I had a, had a different vantage point of watching this. So um, I got hurt in the third quarter and in the Super Bowl, if you go back to the locker room, you can't come back on the field like a normal year. So I had to watch the rest of the game in the locker room. Oh. And um, as you know, uh, you know, the TV version and then when it's, it's a, there's a 10 second delay. You know, it oh, might even be longer than the Super Bowl, right? So I'm in the locker room. I'm in my locker. You know, I then did all my exams and all that stuff, and I'm watching it. And, you know, you hear the cheer. You hear the fans go crazy, and then you see the play 10, 15 seconds later. Oh, no. Exactly. So I'm watching this game, oh. and I'm watching us march down the field. I'm watching, I'm watching, and I hear the fans go crazy. You know, I'm like, okay, let, let's see what's going on. Okay, good. Crazy catch by Jermaine Curse. Crazy right, catch. cool. Next thing I know, so I'm like, okay, we're on the one yard line. We got to be giving Marshawn the ball, you know, I'm, I'm watching this. But there's like some sort of delay. And then I think there's a brawl or something that broke. I don't remember. But anyways, I see my teammates running in, uh, a few of my teammates running in. And I'm like, okay, we're on the one yard line. We must have scored. And I hear the crowd kind of going crazy. But then I look over at my teammates. They're crying and they're mad. So I'm like, wait up. This isn't matching. <laughs> this isn't matching what I'm thinking is about to happen, you know? And, and, and. I see the play and I'm like, oh, I, I, I get I get it now. And I'm oh. I'm I'm <laughs> so I'm I'm sitting here like this is this is crazy because we really just lost the ball game on the one yard line and and again it was just confusing. Like I said, guys are throwing stuff, guys are punching walls and this it was just it was just chaotic just to see how it played out and how I thought it was gonna play out and seeing the reaction uh before I actually seen the play was was unreal. Oh, my goodness. Cliff, we have a segment on our show called War Stories where we go through our gambling bad beats and the worst, you know, the, the biggest highs to the biggest lows. That, my that, friend, <laughs> that was a war story right there. That's remarkable. Thank you for sharing that. That is unbelievable. Uh, to, to, to move forward, though, I mean, it's way too early to prognosticate about the season ahead of us. But I, I, my favorite part of uh, free agency in the offseason is seeing the squads that are, you know, preparing to go on a Super Bowl run. They sign those veteran players to for that one-year deal to try and add to the team and try to make the one-year run. You're following the NFL. If you had one more year left in you, is there a certain team or a certain coach or a certain teammates you'd want to go make one final run with and why? Ooh, oh, man, that's a good one. I would Honestly, I would go back to Seattle um, because right now I think – they're a few players short of, of being special, of being great. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Russell Wilson's playing at a, at, at a high level. DK Metcalf, you talk about Tyler Lockett, all those guys on the offense. It's a completely different offense than when I was there. So with that being said, I think adding a few defensive linemen like myself and Michael Bennett or something like that, I think um, I, I can't say we would be the missing piece, although there is a running joke that we were the missing piece for us to go to the Super Bowl that the year that we won, because uh, they were so they were short a couple games. But um, 
I think uh, Michael Bennett, myself, getting that D-line shirt up, you know, keeping Bobby Wagner and the guys on the back end, I think we could do something special. I, I, I definitely think we could make that happen. Isn't it crazy that Bobby Wagner is still doing it? Unbelievable. Unreal. I got to ask, man, you know, I watch those Tosillos commercials with you and Cam. Do you eat all those nachos? Because you look like a tight end right now, my guy. You still like you can play. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, thinning, I'm thinning out a little bit. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I see some of my old teammates, you know, and I, I was 260 when I played. And some of the guys are looking at me like, hey, are, are you are you okay? Like, I'm like, well, it's either we gain weight or we lose weight. You can't, you don't stay the same. And I, 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 I told my, I promised myself that I would lose weight and not go the other direction once I was done. That's awesome. All right. Our last question for you. We, we asked this to all of our guests that we have on uh, in your prime. All right. This is a hypothetical. OK, you see me, you see Drew. We're, we're bigger guys, but we're not exactly NFL players. But in our prime, in your prime, I should say it's fourth and one. You're on the D line. They call power left. I'm at tackle. Drew's at tight end. We got to double team you to push you off. Is there a chance in hell we get that one yard to succeed? Not, not in that sea gap. There's not a chance. Not in the sea gap. You might go, might bounce it out somewhere else. You might go to the A gap, but you're not, <laughs> you're not coming through that C gap. The C gap is shut down. If if I'm going to get no knock against neither one of you guys, but I'm just saying, uh, I think I, I think I win that battle. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for your honesty in that one, my friend, and thank you for joining us on the podcast, Cliff Averill. You can find him on Twitter at Cliff Averill. You can find him on Instagram at Cliff Averill. My friend, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I, I know Drew. This has been one of his heroes to talk to. He, t- he won't stop talking about your pick against Phil Rivers, but now he's yes. finally interviewed you. He can knock that off the bucket list. Thank you for joining <laughs> us, my friend. Awesome, my man. pleasure. Awesome. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm still. I'm, hey, Detroit gave me my first chance, so I love. I have nothing but love for Detroit. Love to hear it, Cliff. I love to hear it. Hey, you got to have you back on during the season, man, and and, and take care. Really appreciate you have, being on. Let's make it happen. I appreciate it. Left coasters. Okay, and now we're back from our Cliff Averill interview and Drew. That was a hell of a story he gave us about the Seahawks game. Am I right? Oh my God, what a cool guy! First of all, um, such a good dude, and you could tell in my excitement, I actually fucked up and said. Uh, when he got that pass to Phillip Rivers that they clinched the division, which was incorrect. They clinched a playoff spot, Tony, but as you know, the Lions haven't clinched a division since I've been about five years old. But, um, man, couldn't be a, a, a nicer of a dude and really, really happy that uh, he joined us. And uh, some tells me uh, we're going to have him back on again. I hope so, man. I hope so, because that was, that was a lot of fun talking to him, even though uh, I was afraid he was going to hit me every time we were... I had the Green Bay sign behind me the whole time, and I was afraid he was going to like literally shut off the video and not talk to us because of that. But he was a good guy. He was a good guy. Uh, but let's move on to the Lions potentially winning a division, potentially making the playoffs, the Lions' future. They hired a new coach, Dan Campbell, the rah-rah guy, the PC principal. Like, he is running Detroit now. He is the man. A six-year contract. Anthony Lynn is your offensive coordinator. You stole a guy from Chicago to be a defensive coordinator. Dom Capers is in the building. Mark Brunel is your QB coach. And then you guys made the biggest news so far of the NFL offseason in trading away Matthew Stafford. Now, all reports say Matthew Stafford kindly asked for this, and they said, yes, we will do it for you, and this was a a mutual parting. It's not like the Deshaun Watson case where nobody knows what's going on. This is Stafford and the Ford family and Dan Campbell all coming to the table, Brad Holmes, the GM, and saying, let's make this deal work. Matthew Stafford is now a Los Angeles Ram. And Drew... If you've listened to this podcast in the past, you have known that Drew Schaefer-Crookston has said multiple times that the Jared Goff contract is the worst contract in sports. And Jared Goff does not deserve the money he's getting. 
and the Los Angeles Rams will not win X amount of games, make it to the playoffs, make the Super Bowl under this system because of Jared Goff. And now, Drew, as a fan of this team for the rest of your life, you're stuck with these Lions. In my opinion, this was a terrible move for your Detroit Lions in getting your least favorite quarterback. Now, I'm sitting here very happy I get to watch you melt down every Sunday watching this team and text me every time Jared Goff overthrows the middle tight end of the field 10 yards. I can't wait for the smile that creeps on my face when he plays me two times a year and we destroy them. But I I want to hear your thoughts on this trade. Not only are they trading away the only quarterback you've ever really loved and the man that is the heart and soul of the Detroit Lions, he is gone now. And instead, you get the California kid who doesn't know East from West. So what's your uh, breakdown of this trade? Now, they did get some draft picks. They got the third round pick this year, 2022 first, 2023 first, and Jared Goff, and a whole lot of money owed to him. So, Drew, what's your take, my guy? I've had time to think on it, Tony, and really dig into the deal. And for better or worse, you know, I can totally make sense of what Holmes is doing here for a number of reasons. Obviously, the cost of two first round picks and a third this year was taking on that bad Jared Goff contract. That's evident. Mm-hmm. That was the compensation for that trade. So I'm fine with that. But as much as this is a trade of Stafford for Goff and the first-round picks, it's really just a complete cleanup of the Patricia Quinn salary cap mess that was left for them and a signal to Lions fans that I'm taking as a positive thing that, hey, you know what? We are rebuilding finally from the ground up because we have – we have a year of Stafford dead money. We got a bunch of bad contracts and Trey Flowers and Jamie Collins and Jesse James and Justin Coleman that are coming off the books in two years. I forgot Jesse James was on your so, team. Yeah. Three of those want- four names are former Patriots, by the way. So, so, so listen, exactly, exactly. And, and what was our ex-regime? They're Patriots. So I really feel, and you've piled on, Tony. We've had some heated discussions. I really feel... This is a great trade for both parties. I really like the way the Lions went about doing it correctly because already since this trade has happened, Calvin Johnson has already reached out to Sheila Ford face-to-face. They've had conversations about reconciling that relationship. I don't think the Lions want to be in the business of, you know, being that franchise that pisses off players that all they've done is given their heart and soul to that team in that city. So the fact that they worked with Stafford and by all accounts gave him his kind of choice. Now, obviously, they got the best compensation, but they gave him, he said he likes McVeigh, his buddies with him, they're in Cabo together, blah, blah, blah. He wanted to go there. And listen, Jared Goff's 27 years old. He's been in the league for five years. He's going to be our starting quarterback for two years with that, with, with that contract. In his third year, if they want to dump him and save a bunch of money, they can do that. But I don't think the Lions are in a competitive window for the next two years. And so for me, I'm going to get behind Jared Goff, knowing that he has a bad contract, knowing that he's probably not going to lead us to the promised land. But if this is the classic bridge guy, I'm completely fine with it. And to, to answer your question, you know, it's been, it's been reported that the, the Panthers were offering the eighth pick in Teddy Bridgewater this year. So you get back-to-back picks. I think one thing that's not talked about in this trade, which I've heard from people I respect right about, is in this COVID era, the draft's going to be tricky this year. Because you, you don't have regular access to a combine. You can't get the face-to-face meetings. I think Holmes really wants to get his feet and his system locked in, his scouting locked in for a year, kind of see what he has. And these two first-rounders, look, I project the Rams to be great next year. I really do. But if you look at this year, the Falcons, the Cowboys, and the Philadelphia Eagles all had season win totals of over eight, all projected to be playoff fringe contenders. Guess what? All of them picking in the top ten this year. 
There's yeah. nothing, nothing certain in the NFL, man. Stafford goes down, Donald, Ramsey go down, whatever. That first round pick, it could be a top 15 pick. It probably won't be, but people kind of assume this is going to be 25 and later. I completely disagree with that. I'm very happy for Stafford. I'm thrilled for him. I wish him all the best. I'll be rooting for him. And I'm going to get behind Jared Goff. But more importantly, I love, love, love what this new regime is doing and really yeah. sig- signaling to the fans and effectively communicating, hey, guys, look, over here. We're going to rebuild. But we're going to do it the right way. We're getting draft capital. We're going to build within the franchise. So I'm very happy about it. Now, the only question remains is after two years of going 3-13, and 13, will Dan Campbell be there to see the finished product of the rebuild? It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Dangles, let's go to you, my guy. I know you don't have a lot on uh, golf going to Detroit, but we did do a podcast on the L.A. Rams to start this whole rigmarole that we do on. And we did root for those Rams. We rooted for golf. We went to training camps. We saw that team get built from the ground up when they first landed here on the West Coast. Now... They have Matthew Stafford, who we've watched as casual fans. Matthew Stafford can still sling it, in my opinion. He's been on probably all of our fantasy teams once before. The guy can make a 1,000-yard receiver out of Marvin Jones. I think he can make magic out of anything. Do you foresee this being a happy marriage with the L.A. Rams? And why suddenly is now the, the, the NFC the hardest place to be with seven <laughs> or eight teams that could win a Super Bowl? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I I don't know how to answer that one. I do think this is going to be a happy marriage for the Rams and Matthew Stafford because I think it sounds like both sides are getting out of a situation that they didn't really want to be in. With the Rams, yeah. you've got a bad contract. And Jared Goff told the Los Angeles Times in an interview, you know, it was kind of mutual. I wanted out too. And, and yeah. you know, especially after, you know, we talked on this podcast about some of the, the comments that, that Les Snead made even before the, the, the trade was announced, basically saying, not in so many words, but that we've moved on from Jared. And and so it sounds like he wanted out of there too. So it's a fresh start for Jared Goff and, and a fresh start for Matthew Stafford, a guy who, yeah, consistently puts up like 4,000-yard seasons uh, and makes receivers, as you said, out of, out of nobodies, uh, is a very smart offensive mind. And, and I I think with with Sean McVay, you got two really, really bright, you know, offensive dudes there. They're going to be able to spread the field out a little bit. Um, You know, they didn't necessarily they made it to the playoffs this year. Didn't really need much of a uh, in the way of a run game. I think Cam Akers only gets better. And I loved what I saw from Daryl Henderson this year. He's a violent, fast runner. And I can't wait to see what that kid turns into. But I think this is honestly a win win for both sides. Um, Fresh starts everywhere around. You know, Drew talked about the the way that they that the Lions did this to strike the contract property and be able to deal with this in a financial way that makes sense over the next little while you know whether or not it actually turns out to be good or if it's a hold your nose situation like I had to do with Cam Newton this year remains to be seen Um, but I think it'll be fun to watch I'm looking forward to seeing Matthew Stafford in those god-awful Rams uniforms question for both of you so would you rather have the guy that drafted Jared Goff trade for Jared Goff and get two first round picks back or would you rather be be a fan of the GM that traded up to draft Mitchell Trubisky over Pat Mahomes and over Deshaun Watson and give a first-round pick and potentially a second-round pick for a two-year-older worst contract in Carson fucking Wentz? Answer me that for real, Tony. Answer me that for real. I don't want you lying like Pinocchio over there. Well, I was going to say, I was going to lead into that being we could very well be recording a midweek podcast breaking down another QB from that draft getting traded to another NFC North team. There is a hot rumor in the street that Carson Wentz is destined for Chicago. And again, 
uh, Tony Cavallo's jury is out until he sees the contract details that come ahead. Because just like uh, Detroit, or just like L.A., I should say, there's a chance Philly eats a lot of that money before they trade Carson Wentz away and makes that contract a little bit more palatable. It'll be interesting to see. Personally, for me, money aside, contracts aside, in a vacuum, I think Carson Wentz is the better football player and gives you a better chance to win. Because Carson Wentz was almost an MVP. Jared Goff was almost a Super Bowl winner. I don't know. I'm more in love with Carson Wentz. I'm probably the last person that's still in love with Carson Wentz. I just think he can do it better than Jared Goff can. But either way, if the NFC North is Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, and Aaron Rodgers next year, oh boy, are we in for some fun. That's that's a fun division to root for. It really is. It's going to be a lot of fun. But let's move on. Drew, you can wipe your tears. Detroit's gone for two years. You're moving on with Jared Goff. Man, I can't wait to hear you get angry every week about that team. Dangles, Drew, myself, we have been working. We have been working for the listeners because we are here to make you money. We are here to hit our bets. 13-5 and five in the Super Bowl. We are hot, hot, hot. That does not mean we're going to stop right here. I have asked the three of us to bring to the listeners a Back Up the Brinks Truck Bet of the Week. And Dangles, we're going to go to you first, my friend. As the novice, and we're stepping out of the NFL light, you have the whole world of sports at your beck and call. What bet are you going to give out to the listeners to make you money? Well, that's the very thing I asked myself uh, this afternoon, Tony, as I was preparing for, for the show and, and taking down my show notes. I said, what should I do? Because I don't do, I don't do a lot of this venturing outside the NFL world. I feel good about the progress I've made in the NFL, but... But going outside of that, it's, it's definitely outside my comfort zone. So I think I, I, I decided I was going to go somewhere that's pretty close to home or something that I can feel pretty comfortable about. I'm going to go did to college go, did basketball. Did you go Syracuse basketball? I'm going to go Syracuse basketball here because <laughs> I know Syracuse basketball. That's something I can bet on with at least some bit of an education because I know Syracuse basketball. Syracuse on Tuesday evening take on the NC State Wolfpack. It's an in-conference uh, matchup, uh, Syracuse 10-6. The Wolfpack, 8-7. and seven. These two teams never put a ton of, bo- of points on the board, I feel Correct. like. Syracuse is, and Syracuse is already prone to putting up like 50 against in-conference opponents. The total in this game is 148. I'm seeing this as like a 10-point Syracuse loss or win or so, one way or another. I am very doubtful we see 148 points in this in-conference matchup. I think it's going to be a defensive struggle back and forth. I think it's much more likely that you see something in the 60 uh, the 50s or the 60s so i'm going under syracuse versus north carolina state with the uh the the total being 148 i love it dangles look at you growing before our very eyes knowing <laughs> oh that buddy God, buddy Beheim is not eric devendorf and that under no. is knocking on the train i love no. it dangles well we've been shooting the ball really poorly this year as well i think i think i i can't remember forget who it was we played last but we shot like 31% from the floor and, and 25, uh, uh, 25, uh, Clemson, it was Clemson. And we shot like 31% of the, from the floor and 25 from three. If we shoot like that against the Wolfpack, there's no way that we're putting, we're, we're going to get close to 148. The, the days of Bayheim ripping off his jacket in disgust are, are long gone. That, the, you know, Syracuse is a thing of the past right now. Drew, Schaefer the Sharp, my man, back up the Brinks truck is your bit. It's your game. What are you going with for your be- back up the Brinks truck bet of the week? I am so excited to entertain and educate not only my co-host but our listener base about the beauty and the power 
of betting on my second favorite sport to bet on in all of sports. And I'm sitting here in Michigan right now. It's 16 degrees and it's snowing like a dump truck outside. So what do I want to play? I want to play golf. (laughs) And I want to go to Pebble Beach and be in California with you guys and swing that club and watch that ball (laughs) sail over the ocean towards the green. I... It's just like it's like a oasis. It's just it seems perfect. So where I'm going to the Pebble Beach Pro Am. Now, unfortunately, because of COVID this year, they can't do the Pro Am portion. But I look this 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 props available on DraftKings, and I mm. love it. We're gonna play Kevin Streelman to finish in the top ten at plus five hundred. Now, rationale behind it: his last five appearances in this tournament. I'm gonna count them down. Tie for 17th, tie for 14th, 6th place, tie for 7th, alone in 2nd. He won the Pro-Am portion with Larry Fitzgerald last year. Now, unfortunately, like I said, no Pro-Am because of COVID. He's coming off a waste management, tied for 22nd. All four of his rounds were in the 60s. And in his career, he's played 360 golf tournaments. He's finished in the top 10 45 times. That's 12.5%. He has not hit a top 10 in 10 tournaments, sprinkle in a ton of top 20s. But basically, he makes a top 10, one every eight tournaments. He's overdue. I love it. I'm betting it. Kevin Streelman, back up the Brinks truck, plus 500, top 10. And it's very important to notify you when you bet a top 10 in golfer, a T can, basically stands for tie. Ties count. He just needs to tie for top 10th or better. Plus 500, Kevin Streelman, back up the Brinks truck, baby. Kevin Streelman. Now, Dangles, I know you aren't a, a, a golfer as, as am I, and we're not exactly into the golf world. I watch the majors, but I'm not usually watching the Pro-Am at Pebble no. Beach. But I, I will say I'm a seasoned vet when it comes to knowing sports entities and knowing people, and I've never heard of Kevin Streelman in my entire life. Uh, outside of maybe like a, I was sitting nearby a TV that had Sports Center <laughs> on it and his name was mentioned, it, it doesn't really... Uh, doesn't really jump out at me, but no, I, I love it. I used to love going to um, the players when, when I lived in Florida. I was about 20 minutes from where the players is played in Ponte Vedra Beach, and it, it is by far the most fun I've ever had at a sporting event going and covering the players' championship. Mm. So I can only, you know, I can only imagine what going to one of the, I mean, it's like, the, it is a major, but I, you know, um, I love going to golf and I, I can't wait to bet some more on golf and learn, learn from you about <laughs> how to bet on golf and who makes I'm the, excited I'm probably just going to start with who makes the cut and who doesn't. I feel like that's an easy entryway. Well, basically, Dangos, Streelman has made the cut five straight times in this tournament. And if you're making the cut, you, you, you got to chip it and share for a top 10 because anything can happen. And he's played exceptionally well in this tournament. Uh, Tony, real quick, I want to do a little mini Shave the Sharp gambling school. And obviously, we're, 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 we're playing a little long odds here, plus 500. Sorry, say a plus 500. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend betting your quote-unquote full unit. Let's just yeah. sprinkle. Let's pick a half unit, quarter unit. Because remember... Yeah, it's it's kind of a long shot. Now you can go bet Dustin Johnson to win the damn tournament at plus a hundred or minus one seventy three, whatever the hell he's at. But it's like again, Streelman's not trying to. We're not trying to win here. We're top ten plus five hundred. Let's sprinkle something on it. Back up that brink truck, baby. So as I get into my back up the brink truck pick, I have to start with a tiny little story. I have to take you back to the dark ages, to the dark times, to the times right after COVID hit. And the world shut down. Rudy Gobert licked a bunch of microphones and suddenly no more basketball for anybody. No more NHL for anybody. No more sports in this world. And I don't know about you, 
but I was struggling. I needed that live action. I, was, I wasn't going to watch Korean baseball, but God damn it, I needed something to watch on my television set that was a live sport. And lo and behold, when I needed it most, out of nowhere came this lovely little sport known as NASCAR. And when NASCAR came back, yours truly went from Tony Squares to Tony Tires. And now Tony Tires is returning <laughs> this Sunday with the Daytona 500. The Daytona 500 and yours truly will have a front row seat ready to watch the revs go. Now, to be completely honest, I can't drive a stick shift, but I learned how to bet NASCAR from the COVID times. And I'm here to give you a surefire backup the Brinks truck bet, okay? Last year, when they came back... There was a man, I, I knew a couple of racers, I know a lot more now, but I knew a couple of racers, the man that everyone hated, the Tom Brady of his group, is a man named Kyle Busch. You've seen him, he drives the M&M car number 18, and Kyle Busch was terrible during the COVID races, terrible, awful, no good, very bad. He lost, he lost, he lost, he lost, but he was always in the running, he was always there, and every time you watch the races, they went, well, you know, you expect Kyle Busch to do better, but he just keeps, he's not having a good year, he's not having a good year, blah, 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 blah. Now we're at the Daytona 500. We're washing the slate clean. Everything is better. Everything is new. The whole world is open again. We're all at zeros, and Kyle Busch is ready to put 2020 behind him just like the rest of us. Now, similar to golf, Similar to golf, you can sit there and try to pick someone to win the whole thing, but that is, you know, that's a lottery. That is tough to do. Kyle Busch right now is plus 1,400 to win the whole thing. I'm not telling you to go do that because too many things can happen. But what I'm telling you is a surefire hit. For this man to come back and reclaim his throne as one of the best drivers in the world, Tony Tires gives you the guarantee of the backup the Brings truck pick. Kyle Busch to be in the top 10 at even money, currently at even money. You will never get this man to be even money in the top 10 ever again. I'm telling you this. You will never get it ever again to be even money in the top 10. And when I told you Tom Brady was going to win an MVP and you were getting double your money to do it, I'm telling you right now, Kyle Busch is finishing the Daytona 500 in the top 10 at least at even money. And that is the backup the Brings Truck pick from yours truly, Tony Tires. I cannot Thank wait you. for more Tony Tires bets. I got. I even. I just thought of a tagline for you. Ready? Tony Tires, Brinks Trucks bets where the rubber meets the road. Love Done. it. I, Fucking I print throw it. some dangles like our, our typical like beep 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 for Tony Tires. It should be like, just like yeah, a pull get, out. A, get a tire squeal or something. <laughs> just we just every so often we get a NASCAR bet from Tony Tires. There's I'll be, tell you we what, a, we need to like get a theme song. You need to put you need to affect some sort of accent. Tony, we'll make it. Tony, we'll make it a whole thing. It'll be great. T Tony Tires, I will bet that for you, buddy. And I'm gonna be eating M and M's while I do it. While I'll uh, be cheering on Kyle Busch and. You know, I mean, M&M's is a nice consolation, and yep. that'll be good. Good job, bud. Good job. Can't wait to watch it. And those are your backup the Brinks truck picks from the hottest sports gambling show in the podcast sphere. 13-5 and five during the Super Bowl. We are the show that makes you money, and we are now branching out from the NFL. We will be with you all year long. Because I don't know about you guys, but I like making money, and I like being hot. And I like winning bets. So for Tony Cavallo, Schaefer the Sharp, Drew Schaefer Crooks, and Matthew Dangles, D'Angelo Antonio, we are the West Coast Gamblers. And as always, thank you for listening.
downstairs. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle, or paddle as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!